right, guys, today we're going to be in the book of Hebrews again. We're working our way through Hebrews. Uh, the whole theme of Hebrews is Jesus is better. Jesus is better. And that is the point. Now, we've already seen some in Hebrews that there are a lot of warnings in the book of Hebrews. What was happening again to the people there is that they were under some pretty good persecution, pretty intense persecution. And we all know that when struggles come and chaos comes, sometimes that's a time where we begin to wonder if we are doing the right thing, if we're making the right choices. Uh, This week in my devotions, I was reading about John the Baptist. And if you guys remember his story, uh, remember he was a little bit ahead of Jesus. And as he goes out, he's preaching repentance and he's baptizing people. Incredible life change. So like the taxpayers, the soldiers, People are just being transformed, and John is able to see that happen, and he's encouraged. He declares that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is the one to come, and John says, I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. But a little bit later in the book of Luke, John gets arrested. He gets his own struggle, his own trial. And John talks to a couple of his disciples, and he sends them to Jesus, and this is what he says. He says, are you the one to come? Or should we expect another? You ever had that kind of feeling? (laughs) Lord, is this right? Am I I not thinking this the right way? I know this is what is truth, but I'm not sure about it because in my experience here, I am stuck in jail. How can this be your will, right? And if you guys know the story there, Jesus actually quotes out of, I believe it's Isaiah 61. And the idea is he tells those disciples, go back to John and tell him that the blind can see the deaf can hear (laughs) but he there's one thing out of that passage he doesn't remind him about and that is the captives being set free and that's because you know the story of john right john's end is a terrible end here but jesus declares him to be the greatest man ever born now that's some serious faith isn't it right okay today we're going to see in the book of hebrews some people are being challenged about faith And there's going to be some warnings about holding fast and the the reality of the danger of falling away. So today we're going to look at this idea of the fear of falling away. But I hope not only will it be some things that cause you some caution, but also some things that also will encourage your heart about your own salvation. Let's look together. Hebrews chapter 6, verses 1 through 6. So the scripture here says, Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go unto perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, and of the doctrine of baptisms and the laying on of hands, and on the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And this we will do, verse 3, if God permit. Verse 4, and this is where we want to focus today, 4 through 6. For it is impossible... For those who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come, if they shall fall away to renew them again unto repentance, seeing they crucified to themselves the Son of God afresh and to put him to an open shame. Okay, I want you to listen closely today. Again, you check the preacher on this. If we need to talk later, we can. But I hope that you will see that your preacher always preaches God's word just for what it is. And I want you to see that here today. 
Now, this year at our church, this will be the first year I'm really excited. We're going to go on a men's retreat. It's going to be fun. <laughs> we haven't done that before, an outdoor men's retreat. Back home in Illinois, where I'm from, we used to do men's retreats pretty regular. And we went to this one place called an iron furnace. It was an old iron furnace that was out of commission. I'm going to say it was probably maybe 50, 60 feet high in the air. And one year, a bunch of the guys, you know how boys are sometimes, right? We're like, let's climb the iron furnace. So we're all getting around the back of it where the, the dirt mounds are kind of on the back side of it. And it's easier to climb up. And I climbed up on top. Other people climbed up on top. And then we started getting kind of to the edge. And I'm like, no, nah, I'm good here. So I actually got down on like my knees and my hands so I could crawl to the edge and kind of take a look. Because I wanted to see, but I was so scared that I might fall that I wouldn't stand up and walk to the edge. Right? Now I want to ask you today, was that a hypothetical possibility that I could fall? What do you mean by that, right? Exactly. Was there a reality, was it really possible that I could fall and hurt myself? You know, we would say that, most of us say yes, that it is. The passage we're going to look at today is, in a similar way, it describes a falling. And some people will say, well, that it's only a hypothetical situation. It's not something that could really happen. But what I want you to see today, your preacher believes, again, from the word of God, not my opinion, that the author of Hebrews is telling us that the reality of falling is true and real. Okay? Now, we have to put this together with other scriptures that remind us that we are secure in Christ. Amen? And we are secure in Christ. And yet we have scriptures that say that there's a reality of falling. And today I'm going to try to put those two things together for you, hopefully, and encourage you uh, about how the Lord is leading us today. So let's look together in this passage. Um, again, we should never hide the fact that we believe the whole word of God. All right? Now, we definitely have to define our terms, right? Some people, if you say, I believe in predestination, they're just like, what? What are you saying? <laughs> does the Bible speak of predestination? It does, absolutely. It uses the word. So now you need to define the term and know what it means. Right now, different people may have different understandings of what that word means. How about foreknowledge? Does the Bible teach in foreknowledge of God? Absolutely. <laughs> so you better understand the terms. And again, I'm telling you today, don't ever shy away from the truth of God's word, but make sure that you define the word of the Lord the way that the Lord is defining it for us. And so again today, we're going to look through this passage. I want you to know this morning that I believe, and I believe the scripture teaches, that it is a real possibility to fall. So hear me out and hear the word of the Lord out today. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12. Let's start there. Again, not my words, but the Lord's words. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he stand to take heed, lest he fall, right? So obviously, falling is definitely a possibility. The question is, what does that falling mean? What does that entail, right? Now, and the other thing I want to share, and you're going to hear both sides today, kind of coming back and forth again to hopefully help you arrive at that place of truth. This does not mean that we cannot have assurance or know that we are right with God or know that we are saved. Can you know that you're a Christian today? Absolutely, you can know, right? Some of our old Free Will Baptist forefathers, they would teach and preach that you could never really know if you were a Christian or not. But the Bible clearly says that. 1 John chapter 5, in verse 13, the scripture John writes, he says, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may 
know, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. You can know today if your heart is right with the Lord. The scripture is clear about that. So please today, as we study this idea of falling and the possibility of falling, don't let it put you in a place where you're like, well, I guess you could never really know. You can know. The Bible is very clear that you can know about your relationship with the Lord if you are right with the Lord and if you are inheriting the promises that he has given to us. But what I want you to hear again today, it does mean that we live our lives focused on the Lord, and as pastors, we try with all our might to encourage those who are still alive to continually seek Christ. Same passage, 1 John chapter 5, but in verse 16, look at this. If any man see his brother sin a sin which is not unto death, he shall ask, and he shall give him life for them that sin not unto death. Now look what he says here. There is a sin unto death, and I do not say that he shall pray for it. Hmm. You're hearing that like I'm hearing that? All right. We should seek with all of our heart to make sure everyone knows Christ. And we never, I don't know your heart, okay? I, I, here on this earth, I will never give up on anyone, okay, because I don't know someone's heart. But God does, even to this place that there is a place that even John says, John who said you can know, <laughs> here he says, well, there is a sin that leads to death, and I'm not saying that you should pray for that. There is a thing that is final. And again, where your preacher is challenging you today that this possibility of falling can be real, and that should cause us, therefore, to be more that we would cling even closer to our Lord. All right, let's jump down to verse 4. This is NIV, uh, Hebrews chapter 6, verse 4. Again, just for us to grab hold of God's word, a little different uh, perspective, hopefully. Again, the author of Hebrews says, It is impossible for those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the coming age, and who have fallen away to be brought back to repentance to their loss, they are crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting him to public disgrace. I think the best way for me to help you understand these things today is to kind of explode some myths. So I'm going to share some myths with you this morning and let this scripture here speak to the truth that will really enlighten us about that these myths really are just that, that they are myths. Again, what I want you to see, that word impossible, we're going to hit there in just a second, it is impossible for those who have once been enlightened. So myth number one today is a person who has ever been close to God would never turn away. And I'm telling you today, that's a myth, right? Most of us probably even in our own life, we know someone at some time who has been on fire, passionate for the Lord, who later on have turned away from God, right? And there's a myth out there that says, oh, if you're really close to God, you would never turn away. Well, we're going to look at that here in detail this morning. First of all, I want you to look at the description of this person in Hebrews chapter 6, verses 4 through 6. What does the Bible say about this person? First, it says this person has been enlightened, okay? They have been enlightened. They have been illuminated. The Lord's light has shined on them. That's kind of interesting. That sounds like a Christian to me, right? Someone who has been enlightened. Ephesians chapter 1, 18 says this, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. So what I'm proposing to you in this passage is that this person is a believer. And the first thing I'd say that makes me think that 
is the Bible says they're enlightened. And usually when we use the term enlightened of someone, we're talking about someone who has been illuminated by the Spirit of God. And that is a person who is a Christian. The second thing it says about them is they have tasted of the heavenly gift. Does an unbeliever taste a heavenly gift? Well, some people would say, well, it's just a taste. Well, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9, same book, same author, says this. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, should what? Should taste death for everyone. If Jesus tasted death, does that mean he just almost did it? (laughs) He really did die, didn't he, right? And so what I guess I'm sharing with you today, same author, same book, tasted of the heavenly gift means this person has experienced the heavenly gift. They have had the gift of the Holy Spirit is what your preacher would say today. And to clarify that a little bit more, he goes on to say they were partakers of the Holy Spirit. Whoa, that's pretty clear there, isn't it, right? This person is a partaker of the Holy Spirit. Can an unbeliever be a partaker of the Holy Spirit? Your preacher would say, not, no, that is by the Scripture's uh, teaching. It would not be true. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 4. Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. This person in Hebrews chapter 6 is a partaker of the Holy Spirit. Notice the next thing it says about him. They have tasted the good word of God. Have you tasted the good word of God? <laughs> uh, whenever the Lord speaks to your heart and encourages you guys, I just got the Lord overwhelmed me with a passage, and I preached it at the quarterly meeting. It's probably coming your way in the near future. I'll just warn you about that. But the word of God is precious, isn't it, right? The person in this passage has tasted the good word of God. John 14, 26. The comforter, which is the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I have said unto you. 1 Corinthians 1, 18. For the preaching of the cross, again, the word of God, the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. The word of God is good to the believer, all right? And so what I'm trying to challenge you here in this passage, it's not just like one word that makes me think it's a believer, okay? That was already phrase number four. One more, and that is they've tasted of the powers of the world to come. Again, Hebrews chapter six says this. Romans 15, 13, a reminder of the same idea. Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. That hope and that joy that is to come, the person in this passage has experienced it. May I challenge you this morning that there may be no better description of what a Christian is than right here in Hebrews chapter 6, verses 4 through 6, right? Enlightened, tasted the heavenly gift, a partaker of the Holy Spirit, tasting the word of God, tasting the powers of the world to come. They have an understanding of all these things, is what the author of Hebrews says. And that's what challenges me, and that's why I'm preaching it this way this morning. So what I would share with you, what we're going to see is that it's possible for a person, even in this condition, to have experienced all these things, that they could fall away. Myth number two this morning. Please hear me on this one. This is so important. This has been so abused over the years. This myth states that when a Christian commits a sin, either a sin of 
omission, something I should have done but I didn't do, or a sin of commission, a sin which I intended to do, they are apostate until they seek forgiveness. Now, a person, you might have heard this term fallen away or apostate, this, this idea here. Um, again, some of my old church fathers, and I'm, I love them dearly, their lives were amazing, but I think they were wrong on this idea. And this is how they would teach things. They would teach that at any point in your life, if you were a believer and you committed a sin, that at the moment you had committed the sin, your whole eternity was in jeopardy. Let me see if I can blow that myth out of the water for you this morning. Okay? You are saved by grace through faith. It is a gift of God, not of works. Because if it's of works, men would boast. You hear me today? Okay. You are saved by grace through faith. You are not saved by your works. The opposite is also true. You're not lost by your works. You're lost by unbelief. Are you checking with that? You're saved by grace through faith. And that's the gift of God. But you're lost not by works, but by unbelief. Okay. So when people think that, oh, no, I... I Maybe I lied to my parents, or I broke the law, or I made a horrible, horrible decision, and I sinned against God. I don't, for the least moment of hate, I don't want you to think that that means that your eternal destiny is in jeopardy, because the scripture does not teach that at all, okay? Because who did the work? Jesus, his name is Jesus, right? He paid for your sins. He lived a perfect life, and it's already, that's already been taken care of. It's not about how good of a person you are. It's not how good of a person you are before you're a Christian, and it's not about how good of a person you are after you become a Christian. We make that mistake so many times. It seems like we come to the Lord in salvation and dependence and crying, Lord, we can't do it, we need you, which is the right, humble attitude. We come to him like that, and then after we become a Christian, what do we do? We pull out all of our rules, right? Show up to church, 9.30 for Sunday school, 10.30 for worship, Wednesday nights, make sure you're there for supper. Go to quarterly meetings, come to revival, make sure your haircut's right, make sure you have the right clothes on, make sure you're listening to the right music, make sure you're saying the right words. Amen? Then all of a sudden it becomes about what we do, and we start thinking, we've got to keep all these rules and all these lists. When we came to Jesus, we never had to do that. Why? Because he did the work. And this is the same thing here, okay? So be careful about this idea that, oh, no, I've committed a sin, so therefore my eternal destiny is in jeopardy. The scripture does not teach that. And let me show you that right here in this passage. What did the author of Hebrews say? He said, it is impossible, not unlikely, not a probably not, not only for good people. He said it is impossible if they fall away to renew them again unto repentance. Listen close, this is so important. I've had multiple people in my years of pastoring who would come to me thinking that maybe that God was done with them and he would never call them back. And they would come with tears and crying like, oh, I want to come back to the Lord, but I don't think he'll have me back. Did you hear the passage that we just read? It is impossible for them to be renewed unto repentance. There is no desire in their heart to repent. Did you catch that? This is really good, by the way. If anybody ever comes with a penitent heart before God, they have proven just by their repentant heart that they have not fallen away. <laughs> Isn't that good? Again, this passage has been abused, hasn't it? 
oh no, you might fall away and then you're going to want to come to God, but he's not going to let you come back. No, no, no. The scripture says if you have truly fallen away, if you have truly made an apostate of yourself, there is no desire in your heart to ever come back. It is impossible for that to happen. So if someone comes to you with the slightest inclination to be right with the Lord, they haven't fallen away. Pray for them, love them, share the gospel with them. That's what the word of God says. Okay? Cling on to that. It's so important. And the problem is if you could be saved and then lost and be saved and then lost again and be saved and lost again, you might have heard people say, oh, I've been saved 17 times. <laughs> the Bible doesn't teach that, does it? Right? Because what would have to happen? What did he say in the passage? The Son of God would have to be crucified afresh. For every time you were saved and lost again, Jesus would have to die on the cross and pay for your sins again. But it doesn't work that way, does it? He died one time for the world, one time for all. So hear the word of God today. And when my friend David Outlaw and I, we were Free Will Baptist Bible College students who went to a Southern Baptist seminary, we were sitting down with a Southern Baptist theologian who was an amazing guy. He was an incredible guy, and we had lots of good conversations. We made our way through this passage, and he was saying, so what you're telling me, you, you Free Will Baptist guys, that you believe that the Bible says that, well, it's possible for you to fall away, but if you fall away, that you could never be brought back? And we're like, yeah, that's what the Bible says. He's like, oh. Because he, his own system was like, that's kind of hard. He had made up some sort of straw man that said, oh, well, nobody really believes that. They always believe you can fall away and come back and fall away and come back. I'm like, no, that's not what the Bible says, does it? Can you challenge and encourage each other here today? Salvation is not an in-and-out dance. When you come to Christ, he changes your heart. And the only way that there would ever be a way out is if you would fall to a point where your heart was so hard that it would not seek repentance. Okay? But what I'm trying to share with you today is that actual cliff, there, there really is a cliff there. And I believe the word of God teaches that, not something about my opinion. But I believe it's what God's word says. All right. Myth number three, which I think hopefully made this very clear so far already. A person who is saved and falls away to the point of apostasy can be saved again if they repent. You don't go back and forth, back and forth. Look at Hebrews chapter 10, verse 10. And I'll follow along on the screen here. Hopefully you can see these scriptures to help uh, show you this idea. Author Hebrews says, verse 10, And by that will we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Everybody checking with that? One time for all. Verse 12, but when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, and since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. He isn't dying over and over and over again. Skip down if you would to verse uh, 26 there. If we deliberately, listen to this, if we deliberately keep on sinning, after we have received the knowledge of truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and a raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severely do you think someone deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, who has treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified them and who has insulted the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, it is mine to avenge, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. And the, guy, the verse you guys all know, verse 31, it is a dreadful thing. It is a fearful thing to 
fall into the hands of the living God. And you hear the, the preacher trying to completely step out of this situation, and I want you to see God's word today. Did you hear that? If they trampled the blood of the Son of God that sanctified them, the blood that bought them. Again, there's a picture here of someone who had been washed and redeemed and then who decided later on, I'm done with it. And here's what I want to share with you tonight. That doesn't happen overnight, (laughs) right? You don't go from being on fire and passionate for God the next day, you're like, well, I hate the Lord, I don't want anything to do with him. What happens? You know what they call that? A lot of different terms for it. I heard one person describe it as drift. John and I went to that quarterly meeting last Saturday, and there was a guy there. He actually worked with um, a, they were tree trimmers, was his business. And part of his job was maintaining control on their safety systems. And he said what will happen is these guys, they will start to drift a little bit in their job. So they're having to climb poles. Well, sometimes they might climb without a belt. They're having to use chainsaws, and sometimes maybe they'll just reach a little further, so they'll use one hand, right? And so what happens is, what do you do? Oh, I can do this. It'll be fine. And so you do it that one time, and it works out okay. And then what are you thinking then? The next time, I can do it again, right? And then you might take a little more risk. Yeah, it takes a little, it's so long to put that belt on. I can climb these things up and be up there and get this done in no, no time, no problem. And you do it and nothing happens, so what do you think? It's all okay, right? And what happens, the more that you drift, the risk increases and increases until finally what happens is something really bad. He said, in my business, something really bad happens. Right? Spiritually, it's the same way, isn't it? hear me out today? Please hear me because I just told you (laughs) it's not about your works, but what I'm telling you now is be careful of that drift. Well, I don't got time to read my Bible today. Maybe tomorrow. I don't got time to pray today. Yeah, I would love to go to church, but I mean, it's Super Bowl Sunday and I need to make sure that the the food is buffet is ready to roll and I got my house decorated like I want to, right? Maybe next Sunday it'll be fine, right? Yeah, I know I need to help that person, but Maybe tomorrow I'll help them. I know the Lord is pulling me to do this, but just not right now. What's that called? Drift, right? And it's not like right away that all of a sudden you don't want anything to do with God. It's just you're a little further away, and you're a little further away. And then guess what? Guess who can step in the door pretty quick, right? Michael did a great job with our warrior series when we saw that spiritual battle, didn't we? The devil gets a foothold. He doesn't even have a wide open door. He can just get his foot right in the crack and he starts to begin to tempt you. And the anxiety starts coming, the depression starts coming, the worry starts coming, the fear starts creeping in, and it starts to grow and grow. Then you begin to start to question and you wonder where God is, even though the one, you're the one who had left him so long ago. And then over time, your heart can get hard. And what your preacher is saying, what I think the scripture is saying, it can, eventually it could get to the place where you go back to a place of unbelief. And I don't know when that happens. But what I'm telling you today is the scripture seems to teach that that is a real possibility. So cling and hold fast to Christ. You hear the word of the Lord today, all right? Not my words. Please let me step out. You listen. You challenge it yourself. Myth number four. A person who falls away faces the same judgment as a person who never knew Christ. Well, in fact, the scripture says something a little different than that. Look in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 20. Peter writes... If they have escaped the corruption of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, 
and are again entangled in it and are overcome, they are worse off at the end than they were at the beginning. Verse 21, he says, It would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than to have known it and then to turn their backs on the sacred command that was passed on. Again, I hope you're, I'm not, this is not my words. This is what Peter said, right? This is what God said through Peter. It would have been better off if you hadn't known him than for you to know him and then turn your back on him. Cling to the Lord. That's the whole message today. Cling to the Lord. Myth number five. A person can never really know if they are truly saved or a Christian. We talked about that. And again, I wanted you to see this in a different passage. Look at verse 9. It's so good. <laughs> Same passage, Hebrews 6, 4 through 6. We've seen this whole idea of possibility of falling away. Well, look at verse 9, what it says. Even though we speak like this, dear friends, we are convinced of better things in your case, the things that have to do with salvation. God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you have shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help them. We want each of you to show the same diligence to the very end so that what you hope for may be fully realized. We do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. We are convinced. And again, I don't know your heart, but the Lord does. But from the outside in, looking yesterday at some people that served other people, I'm pretty confident of their salvation. <laughs> because they're driven by a desire to please God, and they do that by serving others. That's what the scripture teaches, right? Most of you here today, you can have great confidence in your salvation because it shows itself in the love you have for God's people and the people that he has the Hebrews here were showing the works that are the result of changed hearts. Again, he says, God knows your works and your love. Now, let me challenge you a little this morning. <laughs> if your whole life is about you and not about serving other people and not looking out for the needs of other people and not trying to share the gospel with any other people, you probably want to have a little heart inspection. You're not in a good place. But here, the author of Hebrews says, God knows your works and he knows your love, and it's being displayed we are convinced of much better things in your case. God knows how you've helped people. But even in this passage, and I hope that you caught it, in verse 11, there is a reminder to remain diligent even to the end, right? We want each of you to show the same diligence to the very end so that what you hope for may be realized. Have any of you besides Brother Rick ever been on a run? All right. Last May... Um, I thought, oh, I'm going to go out there with Michael and invited Rick and I and the boys. They were doing 5K. I've never even done a 5K. But I had actually been exercising probably the most I've ever in my life, other than when I was in college. And so I was feeling pretty good, pretty confident in myself. I mean, it's just David and Jacob, right? I mean, I can outrun them any day, right? So we get out there, and we start taking off. And they're going kind of slow. I wanted to kind of go fast, but I thought, you know what? I'm just going to try to hang their pace, you know? And so I'd speed up a little bit and then kind of catch back. Then I thought, you know, I think I need a little break. <laughs> so I would start walking, and little David, those legs just keep on motoring, right? He wasn't going super fast, but he wasn't quitting. He just kept persevering. So then I thought, oh, I can't let that little kid beat me. So then I would take off in a pretty good sprint, and I would just about catch up to David, a little bit past him, maybe a little bit, and then I would, okay, I need a break again. <laughs> so then I would fall back, and just like the little turtle that could, David just kept those legs motoring, right? And I found out that I didn't have the perseverance I needed to run the whole end. I could outrun them in a sprint, 
I could show how strong I was for a very short period of time. But what was the goal? It was to finish. Now, I did finish by walking, if that counts for anything. <laughs> but here today, you guys, what I want to encourage you with is it's about the finish. You're the Lord today. I think he's trying to speak to some of you today. It's about the finish. Some of you guys are in a, in a world of hurt right now, and I know you are, and I feel so much for you. I know you're struggling, and you're fighting, and you're trying to do what's right. Trust the Lord. It's about the finish. Don't quit. The Lord will give you strength. The one who began a good work in you, Paul says, he is able to complete it. Amen? Rely on him. He's doing good works. He's going to do great works with your testimony, with your story, with your life. The one who began it, he can complete it. But the challenge for the message for you today is from your part, don't quit on the Lord. Watch that drift, right? Watch that drift. Because the further you get away, the more dangerous, more precarious your situation Cling to Christ. And that's the whole point of Hebrews here. Cling to the Lord. Again, not being lazy, but imitating the faithful and the patient. Those who persevered, they're going to inherit what has been promised. All right, let's close it up this morning, wrap it up here today. We can have confidence, and we should strive to serve the Lord, the hope and the anchor of our souls. Again, think of those words. What's the anchor do, right? It keeps you grounded. It keeps you in place, okay? I don't want anybody leaving today being like, oh, no, preacher said I'm close to falling away. Oh, no. <laughs> no, your anchor is Jesus. There's no stronger anchor in the whole world. <laughs> but you, on your part, you got to cling to him. And he will discipline you, and he will turn your heart back to him. He will give you reminder after reminder. But ultimately, you've got to cling. Because if you just let go, well, we've seen in the scripture time and time again, God will give them over. You need to cling. And that's that warning here today, all right? Hear the words of the Lord. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 34. You suffered along with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that yourselves had better and what? It's so good, isn't it? Better and lasting possessions. I know you're worried about here and now and trying to pay the bills and take care of your relationship situation and take care of your health situation. You've got better and lasting possessions. Don't forget that, all right? Verse 38, so do not throw away your confidence. It will be what? Richly rewarded. Don't give up hope. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he promised. Verse 37, for in just a little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. Amen? Believe that today? The Lord is coming back. Again, not my opinion. The word of God is very clear. Throughout the whole Bible, it teaches that the Lord is coming back. In verse 30, he says, And but my righteous one will live by faith, not by works, and I take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back. But we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. That's one of the best verses in the Bible. We do. This is us. Who, what kind of people are we? Have you ever hear coaches on football teams, you know? Who are we? Like Clemson when they were playing in the football game, right? When they were playing Ohio State, you can hear, we're the Tigers. This is our, we've worked so hard for this. We do not quit. We do not stop. We do not take a break. That's who we are. And that's what the Lord is saying to us in Hebrews, right? We are not those who shrink back and are destroyed, are we? No, we are those who persevere. We are those who have faith. We are those who will be saved. That's who we are. We're Christians. And we're 
saved by the Lord Jesus Christ. Not by us, but by him. That's who we are. Don't be discouraged today. I hope you're not. I just want you to see that that cliff is real. And we need to tell brothers and sisters about the cliff that it's real, especially when they're on the drift, right? Get back from the wall. Come back to the Lord. And that's what the author of Hebrews said. Again, we have a great responsibility to the lost, but let us not forget we also have a responsibility to each other and to all those who profess Christ as Lord and Savior. Martin Luther said it this way. I hope this is not too much of a downer of a quote, but I think it's important. You guys know Martin Luther and the Great Reformation. This is what he says. Again, take this again with all seriousness. He says, there are many kinds of sorrow on the earth, but the deepest of all sorrows is when the heart loses Christ and he is no longer seen and there is no hope of comfort from him. Only a few, only a few are so sorely tempted. All comfort is gone, all joy is ended. There is no help from heaven or sun or moon from angel or any creature. There is even no help from God, but the world rejoices. We don't want anybody that we love in that position, do we? So what's our job? Get the life preserver, right? Throw it out there. Get the hook, get the rope. How do we do that? Even today, sitting right there, you know somebody that's in great hurt, don't you? Have you prayed for them today? Can you call them this week? Can you text them? Can you send them a card? Maybe you need to get in your car and go visit them. And maybe some people you need to help and say, hey, why don't you come with me and let's go see if we can get you a little help with what you're battling. And we have some really great helpers in this room, by the way, people who do that on a daily basis, okay? We need to make sure that we are reaching out to our brothers and sisters who are struggling. We all have friends and family who are going through this. So finally, Hebrews chapter 10, 24, the scripture says, let us consider one another to provoke unto love and good works. And when I think of provoking, I like to think of poking. You ever had anybody poke you? You ever have a brother or sister? Yesterday, we were sitting at this wedding and one of Wendy's cousins, Gracie's on the front row and I'm sitting on the front row and she has two little cousins behind her and they would keep tapping her on the opposite shoulder. You know how that is, right? And she'd turn around, she couldn't see who did it. You better stop that. <laughs> what were they doing? They were poking her, they were provoking her, right? What does the scripture say here about provoking? We need to provoke one another unto love and good works. I know you're tired. But you know, every time you go help the homeless downtown, how does that make you feel? I know it's cold. Put your coat on. Right? Poking, provoking, right? I know you're scared to death. Really, you think you're going to have to, like, read a scripture and a eulogy and lead people in prayer? I can't do that. Yeah, you can, Rick. Here's three good passages. Go for it, man. <laughs> provoking poking, right? This week, these are your brothers and sisters. Even your preacher, definitely, probably the most, I need some good provoking and poking once in a while. Preacher, you're the preacher. Lead us how the Lord has led you. Don't back down. And let's love one another that ultimately we would demonstrate to everyone that Jesus Christ is our solid rock and our hope. Amen? Amen. Let's stand this morning. You know, I'll go to the piano in a moment. We'll just have a time of prayer and those of you that would like to pray. Again, if anybody has questions or would like to talk after service, we just have a brief meeting with some of our uh, folks who are taking care of our, our body here.
but then after that, I'll be glad to talk to anyone who got any questions. Again, I hope today that you see, I don't want this, this message to just be this horrible, fearful discouragement. I want you to see the reality of the possibility of falling, but I also want you to see that the Lord did the work and he is able to sustain you. The desire of the author of Hebrews and my desire to you today is just cling to the Lord. Get as far away from the wall as you can. Get as close to him as you can. That's what we're talking about, okay? And the end result is the same. We want to be as close to the Lord as we can. Let's take a little time this morning. We'll pray together. And then just a little bit, Brother Todd will come and give us our hands.